Thank you so much, and good morning. As we continue now in our series in James, we've already read the passage, but I'd still love for you to get there in your Bibles, because you and I are going to continue to understand, grapple with, process the wisdom that James is providing for you and for me in the course of our everyday living. Now, we are beginning to see that there's a pattern unfolding as you're working through James. And the pattern that is unfolding is this. You see now that there is a wisdom from above that is in direct collision course with a wisdom from below. There is a conflict here that needs to be understood and it needs to be resolved on God's terms rather than ours. And so what we have done is we've read or recited in the midst of the music the passage from James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. So with that in mind now, we're going to look to our Lord in prayer. Our Father, in the midst of these comings and goings and the transitions of the summer days, we have a steadiness, we have a certainty, we have an assurance of our God who's involved, and is present. Sometimes we distance ourselves from you. When we do, we create confusion among us. What we need, Father, is to get close to you. And that proximity comes when, based upon your word, you lead us into that intimate relationship with the second member of the Trinity who died for our sins. Now, Father, we pray for your hand upon the families here, the married, the single, parents, the students. As a new school year is approaching, some of our college students being taken back to the next year of schooling, various settings around the nation. Minister to the families at the point of need. Father, this morning what we need desperately from you is to apply the wisdom from above to the issues we face here below and pray that you will pour your spirit out upon us. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. We've come here again, Father, to see Jesus and him only. We're praying these things still again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a New Year's Day, and I had taken some family members, and we'd settled down to watch a little bit of the parade of the early morning hours. Something took place in the midst of that parade that I thought, here is a parable, a visual parable of everyday living. Evidently, one of the vehicles that was being used as a means of of bringing a float down the street ran out of gas. And as it ran out of gas, the announcers began to tell us of what needed to take place. There is a control center above, you see, that would be immediately communicating communicating the commands to those below as to what to do next. Some of the people stopped. But what struck me was that there were others that tried to make their way around the float and continue on down the street until they were called back to where they needed to be. There was a tension between the supposed control center of above 
and those that were trying to take control below. The command was very simple. Don't move forward until we say so. But the ones who neglected the command, you see, produced confusion at ground level. As I saw what was occurring, I wrote down this thought. When we run ahead of God, we don't gain time. We lose time. The parade came to a halt until everybody could reassemble in their proper position. What you and I find in this fallen world is that there is tension between the control center of above and those who want to assume control from below. And when we assume control from below and disregard the commands that come from above via God's word, the result is such that there is confusion, there is chaos within homes and in the personal dynamics of everyday living. So what we want to do now is to harness once again the principles that we had found weeks prior in James chapter 3, where he posed this question in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, and that parade demonstrated once again that there is conflict and a collision between that which is from above and that which is from below, and we have to determine who has the right to control and issue the commands. What I want to do with you now is we're going to look very carefully at this passage we're considering this morning, from James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, down through verse 17. We're going to be noticing tensions throughout this. The primary tension, our will versus God's will, but also the tension of time versus eternity the tension between submission and sovereignty. And what I want to do now with you, if you've got an itinerary for your life, is to draw out three significant factors that need to be taken into account before you schedule yourself so concretely. The first is flowing out of verse 13 and 14. The number one, when planning ahead, take into account the brevity of life. In verse 13, what you find here is that James now wants to get your attention. He says, come now. There's probably some parents that say that to their kids. Come now. They, he will say that again in chapter 5, verse 1. He will group these two passages together. 
What he wants to do now is to seize your attention because what he's about to say has lifetime consequences. You who say, and what he is about to do now is to challenge you and me to evaluate our plans, taking into account five aspects of life. What are those aspects? Note the first one. Today or tomorrow. There are those that simply want to be the ones who sovereignly choose their time. Rather than submit their plans to God, instead they assume sovereignty over their plans and then ask God's blessing as a result. They start with self and get to God at the end, rather than starting with God and moving to self along the way. Now, what you've got to ask yourself is, as I begin to develop my itinerary, my schedule, my plan for life, from where I am to where I want to be, am I choosing the time or am I submitting this matter of time to the control center from above? Not only the phrase today or tomorrow, which takes into account the choosing of our time, but the next phrase, we will go into such and such a town. The choosing of our time, the choosing of our location. They are determining in advance what towns, what cities, what geographic settings that they will go to. Without choosing to first go before God and seek his will, What they do is they embrace their will and at the very end probably ask God for the sake of the blessing of it all. Now ask yourself this. In the movements of my life, as I'm continuously shifting, not only in the matters of the days God gives me, but the locations I find myself in at various points in the course of life, who's sovereign and who's submitting? Am I asking God to submit himself to my plan? Or am I submitting my plans to God and recognizing that he's the sovereign one overall? Choose our time. We choose our location. My, we even choose our duration. We'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there. Now, when you and I realize what he's doing at this point, he's assuming ownership over time. You and I have experienced losses in life. We've had to bury loved ones. People in this service, prior service, the subsequent service, me personally. What we have to do is to realize that it is God who sets the days of our lives. The psalmist understood this, didn't he? And so when God was speaking via the penmanship of the psalmist, He would remind you and he would remind me of the whole challenge to teach us to number our days that we may gain and get a heart of wisdom. In Psalm 90 verse 12, where this prayer of Moses was delivered for you and me, what he's doing is he's requiring you and me to be teachable about the time of our life. So teach us to number our days, he wrote. 
And the Hebrew word there for number carries with the idea in terms of an accountant, one who is calculating, and one who is evaluating the numbers that are set before him. Notice that it's our days, not our years. There's something about a birthday that ends in a zero. Gets our attention, doesn't it? But what God wants us to do is to embrace early on the reality of the brevity of life. And the wise parent, furthermore, continues to instruct the child, the grandchild, that we are responsible before God as to how we live and where we have placed our faith, and we place it in Jesus Christ who died for our sins. There is still another fact here. here. He goes on to say, and trade. They're even choosing their involvements and make a profit. They've even determined the results. They've tallied up the profit before it has even been produced. Choosing our time, choosing our location, choosing our duration, choosing our involvements, choosing our results, all of this flows out of what we find here. And what we need to do is to embrace what Billy Graham did when he was asked the question, what has surprised you most about life? And his answer was the brevity of life. I penned some thoughts that circulate around this particular verse. Never attempt to make permanent what is temporary. Never attempt to change what is unchangeable. Never attempt to assume sovereignty rather than pursue submission. And never seek to replace God's will with your will. Now, it is the tension of the will here that comes at the forefront of what you and I are considering at this very point. And it ties in naturally to the brevity of life. Amy Carmichael said, We have eternity to celebrate the victories but only a few hours before sunset to win them. When Raphael, the painter, died at the age of 37, they carried his painting, The Transfiguration, to the gravesite. What interests students of history was that the painting was only half finished. They were attempting to communicate the incompleteness and the brevity of life. This past week, I went to YouTube, and I turned on the memorial service that was held last month for Elizabeth Elliot. Watching various um, people on the platform that I had gone to college with, taking turns to recall the various experiences of her life, and theirs with her. And as I was watching, my mind went back to her book, A Slow and Certain Light, where she tells of two adventurers who stopped by to see her. 
all loaded with equipment for the rainforest east of the Andes. She writes, They sought no advice, just a few phrases to converse with the Indians. She goes on, Sometimes we come to God as the two adventurers came to me. Self-confident, well-informed, well-equipped. But has it occurred to us that with all our accumulation of stuff, something is missing? Now she suggests that we often ask God for too little. We know what we need, a yes or a no, please to a simple question, or perhaps a road sign, something quick and easy to point the way. But what we really ought to have is the guide himself. Maps, road signs, a few useful phrases are good things, but infinitely better is someone who has been there before and knows the way, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The one who three days later addressed the brevity of life through resurrection from the dead. Are you choosing your time? Are you choosing your location? Are you choosing your duration? Are you even in choosing your involvements during that time, and are you choosing your results before they've been produced? These are issues that have to be addressed in the season of life that we are in. He wrote, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. William Ernest Henley in Evictus. But when you and I realize what took place with Jesus Christ, he submitted his will, though co-equal to the Father. He submitted his will to the Father, spiritual equality and yet practical authority, dying in our place for our sins, and then validating that by three days later being raised from the dead, addressing once and for all the matter of the brevity of life because there's a vacancy sign hanging over that grave. Now you look at that and you ponder that because what verse 13 requires you and me to do is to seriously evaluate our plans, our itinerary, our schedule, and ask ourselves the tough question. Am I recreating a control center at ground level? Or am I willing to take my signals from the control center from above? Now, once we have worked through those five elements in verse 13, the evaluation of our itinerary, you move from evaluating our plans in 13 to evaluating our perspective, verse 14. In verse 14, he adds, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And what James is doing at that point is he's forcing you and me to recognize that this is a principle that has been worked through through the course of the years. The writer of Proverbs in chapter 27 verse 1 stated, do not boast about tomorrow. 
for you do not know what a day may bring. And now James' audience and James' readers realize that he's drawing from the Older Testament and he is helping us to connect the dots. We're not sovereign over time. God is. We are a moment. You are forever. Lord of the ages, God before time. We are a vapor. You are eternal. Love everlasting, reigning on high. Holy, holy Lord God Almighty, worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Highest praises, honor and glory be unto your name, not my name. He poses a question. It's an important question. He still got us in verse 14. What is your life? That forces us now to dig deep, to evaluate seriously the significance and the value of life. And then he adds this statement. For you are a mist that appears for a little time, And then vanishes. And like me, this fall, if you're out running, and the air gets cooler, and the hot air is colliding with the coolness of the air, you can see your breath, and there's this mist. And then it evaporates, and it's gone. And what God wants us to realize at this point is that there is a tension in this world between ownership and management when it comes to the issue of time. And what the grave does for you and for me is to serve as a continual reminder that God is owner, I am manager, and the management is always responsible to the ownership of life. Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone kept the coffin under his bed. He built it, constructed it, fitted it together at a very young age, slipped it under as a daily reminder of the risks, the challenges, and the uncertainties of life. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was invited over to his house for a few days, all things considered, I'd rather not sleep in the lower bunk. But there's a lot of people like me. They'd prefer a different bed than the lower bunk of a Daniel Boone. But what James is now doing for us is that he's forcing us then to think seriously about the realities of everyday living. Never attempt to make permanent what is temporary. Never attempt to change what is unchangeable. Never attempt to Pursue sovereignty rather than submission. Never seek to replace God's will with my will. And when we process this, we find ourselves in a better situation to understand where the true control center is found. It's the one who sent Jesus into this world to die for our sins. There's a second factor here as you develop your itinerary 
for your life. Not only do you take into account the brevity of life in verse 13 and 14, you take into account now the sovereignty of God in verse 15 and 16. He now offers you a life view alternative. In verse 15, he says, instead, you ought to say. Now draw a line in your Bible back to verse 13 where it says, come now, you who say. What we've got here is a conflict between the is and the ought. This is what they are saying today or tomorrow. We're going to go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, make a profit. But what they ought to say now is found in verse 15, if the Lord wills. In verse 13, it speaks of the idea of we will go. But the contrast now in verse 15 is if the Lord wills. And it's incredibly conditional at this point. And he's forcing you and he's forcing me now to ask ourselves serious questions. Is this simply my will that I'm seeking God to endorse? Or is this God's will that he desires me to obey? It's Gethsemane. And going a little farther, he, speaking of Jesus, fell on his face. He prayed. Saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Listen. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He doesn't say, not as you will, but as I will. Rather, he says, not as I will, but as you will. And there you and I see the collision of will in life. And when the collision is such that we seek to gain sovereignty over the whole matter of will, It's as if we have taken the control center of the universe and brought it to ground level and then asked God, then, by the way, bless this. That's what creates confusion and chaos relationally, politically, nationally, universally. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Dr. Jones was a gifted doctor in England. But he was also a pastor. And he left medicine for the pastorate first in Wales and then went to Westminster Chapel. Had a profound ministry. I noticed that in his various writings, he had two letters that would appear again and again and again. D. V. This is the Latin equivalent, Deo Volente, meaning God willing. He embraced what the Puritans used to do when they communicated to one another and then spoke of the future. We'll do that, God willing. I'll see you tomorrow, God willing. Let's plan on that, God willing. The Wesleyan revivals were marked by this as well. 
Methodists regularly during the 1800s signed their letters with the initials DV and put circulars out about coming events. Now what you and I need to do is to allow for the DV to be our symbol of the sovereignty of God in the itinerary of our lives. Do you have a plan for your children? Do you have a plan for your singleness? Do you have a plan for your job and how many years you'll be at it before you plan to retire? At that particular age, at that particular time, in that particular month, and then you'll go to that particular place. Do you have a DV? Are you willing to introduce this then? into the schedule that you find yourself continuously wanting to create. God has plans. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16, verse 1. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. 16, verse 3. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. 16, verse 9. Proverbs 16 is one of the great chapters on planning and relationship to the sovereignty of God. So now I have a DV before me, and I see the tensions here between the we will in verse 13 and if the Lord wills in verse 15. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, if he wills. But here's the problem. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. He's saying, Highlander, you've brought the control center to ground level. And then you begin to wonder, why such chaos? And as people listen in, they sense such arrogance. Because we're assuming authority rather than establishing accountability before God. This is the today versus the tomorrow tension of life he's addressing here. Great testimonies of the baptism service last week. When all was said and done, went home, caught the final hole, PGA tournament. And as I sat down, had my Bible next to me, and I was jotting down some thoughts, there was something that just it was just triggered in my mind. It's the story of a golfer who boasted that he had just shot a 67. Then added, it was his first time playing the course. Asked by others if it was true, the caddy confirmed the score. Then he went on to say, and tomorrow he'll play the second hole. Never attempt to make permanent what's temporary. Never attempt to change what is unchangeable. Never attempt to pursue sovereignty rather than submission. Never seek to replace God's will with my will. The tensions of life. Where are you at in the midst of this? What's your schedule looking like at this very moment? There's a third factor here. 
take into account not only the brevity of life in verse 13 and 14, the sovereignty of God in verse 15 and 16. Thirdly, the responsibility of believers in verse 17. It comes to its conclusion. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Two bullet points come leaping out of this particular verse. Number one, you and I are responsible to know the right thing. Number two, you and I are responsible to do the right thing. If we know Jesus Christ, you see, as our Lord and as our Savior. When we begin to ponder this, we begin to process the fact that most people don't want to know the will of God in order to do it. They simply want to know the will of God in order to consider it. And then they wonder why such confusion. And the unbeliever listens to a believer who simply looks for an endorsement from above for the plans that have been written out below and wonders, why the arrogance? People, when you and I get close and closer still and closer still to the cross of Jesus Christ, arrogance dissipates. And there's this utter sense of humility that simply floods the soul because we've been confronted with the brevity of life. We see our Lord die for our sins. We're confronted with the sovereignty of life. That three days later, the sovereign Godhead would institute a plan that had been promised and now fulfilled where the second member of the Trinity is raised from the dead. Thirdly, we consider the responsibility of believers in this life, where we are called not merely to know the will of God, but as a result of knowing the will of God, doing the will of God, so that when there is a breakdown and the float of your parade comes to a screeching halt, ask yourself the tough question. And just where is my control center? Is it from above? Or is it at ground level here below? That will be an indicator as to whether or not you're experiencing peace within your life or chaos surrounding your life. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is Lord alone. Let's stand together. And so, Father, we come before you. And you've packed an awful lot of condensed thought into a few verses. And we can feel the tension within ourselves when we look at the calendars of the months to come and the years to come. And we 
consider the tension of above versus below. We consider the tension of your will versus ours. We consider the tension of time as it relates to eternity. We feel the tension of submission versus sovereignty. Established, Father, to such a degree within our hearts that the control center is from above and that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father above. And may the result be, Father, that the calendar of life is yours, not ours. Teach us to number our days. We desperately need hearts of wisdom. And for this, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.